Dear friends, please remain standing for the reading of God's holy word as we continue our uh, series in 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter's first epistle. And this evening we consider 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, the first of a two-part sermon, mini-series, I guess, within this series. The title of my sermon tonight, Prepared for Action, Called to Holiness. Let us hear God's holy word, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. I'm going to read through verse 21, but our focus will be especially on verses 13 through 16. Hear the word of God. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray for the Lord's blessing upon the preaching of his word. Gracious Lord and Father in heaven, once again we are humbled that you have chosen to speak to us, that you have spoken to us in your word, your holy scriptures. Lord, we don't deserve to have you speak to us, especially speak to us your word of grace in the gospel. For Lord, apart from your grace, we are rebel sinners, conceived and born in sin, fallen in Adam. And apart from your intervening grace, we willfully choose to live in accordance with that fallen sin nature. But you have had mercy upon us, Lord. And you have redeemed us through the blood of Christ. You have renewed us with the Spirit. You have effectually called us unto faith and repentance. And your Spirit abides in us and among us. And so we praise you for that. We ask, Heavenly Father, that by the power of your Spirit and by your grace, you would enable us to learn that which the Spirit is seeking to communicate to your church in this portion of Holy Scripture. So open our minds and our hearts, we pray, to behold wondrous things from your Word. And once again, we do pray that you would set a guard over my lips, that I might speak only that which is faithful uh, to the scriptures tonight. Build us up in our faith, challenge us, if necessary, rebuke us, and strengthen our hands for the work that you've called us to. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. (coughs) Pardon me. As I mentioned, uh, the title of my sermon tonight is Prepared for Action Called to Holiness, and there's a a couple of key words that I'd encourage you to listen for, especially the children, faith, action, self-control, hope, and grace. 
Well, dear friends, this is a marvelous epistle, a marvelous portion of God's Word, so filled with comfort and encouragement, especially for suffering believers. In this opening section of 1 Peter, we find the Apostle Peter seeking to encourage his readers who faced persecution for their faith. And so, as we've seen in previous weeks, Peter seeks to do so by reminding his original readers of the wonderful blessings of eternal salvation that they have received through the Lord Jesus Christ. As followers of Christ, we, like Peter's original readers, are also elect exiles, as the recipients of Peter's letter are described in verse 1 of the opening chapter. We, too, are elect exiles in this present world, for our ultimate citizenship is in heaven, where we await what verse 4 describes as an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Beloved, the opening verses of 1 Peter remind us that we have been chosen according to the everlasting love of God. We have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We have been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. We have been born again according to God's great mercy. And we are being guarded by the power of Almighty God through faith for salvation, which is ready to be revealed in the last time, as we're told in verse 5. Such powerful, comforting gospel truth to the suffering children of God. And because of all of these wonderful spiritual blessings, we who by the grace of God know and trust Jesus Christ as our very own Lord and Savior are able to rejoice with what Peter describes as a joy which is inexpressible and filled with glory. And we can do so even though we may face various trials and various uh, tribulations which grieve us at this present time. We can rejoice in the face of trials and persecutions because of the hope and the assurance that we will receive the end goal of our faith, which is the ultimate consummated salvation of our souls. Again, let me remind you of what Peter said about this in verses 8 and 9, where he writes, Though you have not seen Him, you've not seen Jesus you believe, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What greater blessings could there be? Friends, this saving faith of ours is not built upon the sands of mere human opinion or upon the rotting foundation of mere man-made tradition. Instead, it is built upon the sure word of the Old Testament prophets, the prophets who prophesied beforehand about the sufferings and the glories of Christ. And Peter spoke to that in verses 10 through 12, where he says concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Even the angels in glory long to look into the glorious truths of the gospel and the spiritual blessings that we have received in union with Christ. 
Now, friends, up through verse 12, we find Peter laying the foundation of our living hope as Christians, the solid rock foundation of the blessings of eternal salvation, which Christ has secured for his people. Friends, oh, how privileged we as believers are, and oh, how much we have received all by his grace. But with every spiritual privilege and blessing comes responsibility. So beginning in verse 13, Peter begins a long series of imperatives and exhortations on how we as Christians are to live in the light of all these wonderful blessings of grace and salvation that we have received in Christ. This evening we will focus on three imperatives from verse 13, which the Holy Spirit through Peter lays before the church. First of all, the imperative, the command to prepare our minds for action, the command to be sober-minded, and the command to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the second advent of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's dig into our passage for this evening. And as we direct our attention to verse 13, notice first of all, beloved, the call to prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Peter writes, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, even though the English Standard Version translation, therefore preparing your minds for action, even though this translation accurately conveys in our English language the force of this expression, a more literal translation of the Greek, and in my opinion a, a better one because it grabs your attention more, is found in translations like the New King James Version where it reads, therefore gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. You say, what does that mean, Pastor? What does it mean to gird up the loins of your mind? The loins of your mind. Well, this language is a very graphic call for action, which would have been readily understood by Peter's original readers. But in our age, of course, we're not used to this kind of language about girding up our loins. Just what does this expression mean? What does it mean to gird up our loins? Well, in the first century, it was common for folks to wear long, flowing garments. And these garments, of course, were not well suited for physical labor involving lots of movement. And so, for example, when a day laborer or a workman needed to engage in physical lab labor, he would literally gird up his loins, which meant that he would gather up his flowing garment and would tuck up the loose ends of his garment under a belt or a girdle. If a laborer didn't gird up his loins in this fashion, then the loose ends of his garment would just get in the way of his work and prevent him from being able to carry out uh, his labors successfully. If a laborer uh, did that, then he would not be a productive laborer. So this, kind, this is the kind of imagery that Peter is evoking in the minds of his readers by using this expression of girding up the loins. Perhaps if Peter were writing to Christians living in our culture today, he might have said something like, roll up your sleeves or roll up the sleeves of your minds. You know, uh, sometimes when we get to work, maybe you're in the kitchen, you need to wash the dishes and you're wearing a long sleeve shirt, you'll roll up your sleeves so that you can get to work on those dishes, whatever the case may be. The NIV translation, I think, captures the essence of Peter's statement when it says, prepare your minds for action. 
Gird up the loins of your minds. Roll up your sleeves. Get ready for action. In the words of one Bible commentator, what Peter is saying here is that, quote, in Christian living, there must be no frazzled ends, no fuzzy thinking. Christians must gird up their minds. We must gird up our minds and in order for our minds to be properly girded up and, and set on serving and obeying and following the Lord Jesus out of gratitude for God's gift of salvation, our minds need to be transformed through the Word of God. Well, friends in Christ, what does this exhortation, this imperative mean for you and for me today? What does it mean for the church today? How do we gird up the loins of our minds today? Well, to gird up the loins of your mind means to set your mind firmly and steadfastly and single-mindedly on serving your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Savior who has blessed you so greatly, the Savior who has redeemed you and called you to this new way of life, this life of discipleship. It means that you're so thankful for God's gift of salvation in Jesus that you are determined to live a new life in the service of your Savior in His kingdom. Dear listener, have you girded up the loins of your mind? Have you set your mind out of gratitude for God's gift of salvation to you in Jesus? Have you set your mind upon following Jesus and living in obedience to His word? So gird up the loins of your mind. Be prepared for action. But consider the next exhortation and imperative that Peter lays before his readers and before us. Be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Again, therefore, and again, let me just point out, I should have mentioned this before in verse 13, when Peter writes, therefore, whenever you read in the epistles especially, like Paul's epistles or Peter's epistle, whenever you read a therefore, what's the question you ought to ask? What is the therefore, therefore, right? In other words, Peter is saying, based on everything that I've said to you so far, based on all of these blessings that you have received in Christ, therefore, based on all these indicatives, here are some imperatives. The imperatives arise out of and are the implications of the indicatives. And one of the things he says next, after he says preparing your minds or girding the loins of your minds for action, he says being sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Now, this could be translated as it is in the NIV, which reads be self-controlled. The original meaning of the Greek word meant to abstain from excessive use of wine. But in its New Testament sense, it typically has the broader meaning of to live soberly, not just to stay away from excessive uh, uh, drinking of wine, but to live a life that is characterized by soberness. In other words, to exercise sound judgment in all areas of your life. If you exercise sound judgment, then you will live a well-balanced and self-controlled life that glorifies your heavenly Father. And that is really the goal of discipleship, is so that we might learn to live self-controlled lives to the glory of God under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and out of gratitude for God's amazing grace to us in Christ. Now, friends, let me ask you a question. What is the basic ultimate standard for all sound judgment? 
as a Christian, you should know the answer to that question. The answer to that question is the Word of God. In other words, the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, the Scriptures are the ultimate standard for all sound judgment. And so we cannot live sober-minded, self-controlled lives without a knowledge of the Word of God, without filling our minds with the Word of God. And so the answer to the question, uh, if that is the case, if, if it is the Word of God, which it is, that is the ultimate standard for sound judgment, then how can we believers exercise sound judgment? Well, the answer is only by knowing, embracing, and living out the principles and commands of God's Word, all in union with Christ. In other words, dear ones, if you want to have a sound, sober, self-controlled mind which exercises sound judgment, then you must seek to thoroughly acquaint yourself with the ultimate standard of the sound mind, namely God's inerrant, infallible Word. And not just those portions of the Bible that you most resonate with. I, I know I harp on this quite a bit, but I think it's important. We all have our favorite portions of Scripture, and it's okay. You know, I'm a, I'm a guy, I love Paul, I love the Gospels, I love the Psalms. Uh, I'm not so enamored by some of the historical books, but they're part of God's Word too. So we need to read broadly even as we also read deeply. We need to acquaint ourselves with the Scriptures in their entirety. For all Scripture is God-breathed, given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So let me ask you, dear listener, how often do you crack open your Bible? How deeply and broadly do you read your Bible? I know the Bible's a big book. It's actually a collection of books. It's not just a single volume. It's a, a, a large collection of divinely inspired uh, works that the Holy Spirit has woven together and given to uh, His people, His church. Uh, what a blessing the Bible is. I would exhort all of us to be frequently and regularly in the Word, to sit regularly under the faithful preaching and teaching of God's Word, because it is only as our minds are informed and transformed by the Scriptures that we will be men and women, boys and girls of sound mind and sound judgment, as Peter exhorts us or as I should say, as the Holy Spirit through Peter exhorts us in this passage of Scripture. So again, prepare for action. Gird up the loins of your mind and be sober-minded, be self-controlled. But finally, set your hope fully on future grace. Set your hope fully on future grace. Excuse me. <coughs> again, Peter writes, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, some might say, hold on, Pastor. Haven't we already received grace? And the answer is, of course, yes. We have received grace. We daily receive grace, grace upon grace, superabounding grace but we also will receive ultimate consummated grace when Jesus our Lord returns in glory at the end of this age. And he, the, here the theme of hope comes again to the forefront of what Peter is writing uh, to uh, his readers and what the Spirit is saying to us. 
Hope in the face of trials is one of the major themes of this epistle. And here the Holy Spirit, through Peter, is urging us to rest our hope fully upon the future grace that we are going to receive when our Lord Jesus Christ returns in glory. Now again, as I've pointed out, as believers, we have already received grace. And Peter has already spent time talking about the grace that we've already received in Christ, the spiritual blessings that we have received in Christ. And some of the grace, graces that we've already received, grace, past grace, if you will, that continues to have a present impact upon us is the grace of the new birth or regeneration, being born again, the grace of conversion, the grace of justification, the grace of adoption as children of God, and so forth. But in addition to this grace that we've already received, we as believers are continuing to receive an abundance of daily grace from God. The grace of progressive sanctification, the grace of perseverance, and the grace that comes from the comfort and encouragement of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. So as believers, we have received grace, past grace, which continues to have present effects in our lives. We are receiving grace, present tense. But beloved in Christ, there is even more grace yet to come. Consummated ultimate grace. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, we receive grace upon grace. Super abounding grace. And the specific grace that Peter is speaking of in verse 13 is a future grace the ultimate consummated grace that we will receive when Christ returns in glory, raises us up from the dead and welcomes uh, us into his consummated kingdom where we will enjoy his presence forever in the new heavens and the new earth wherein righteousness dwells. Why do you think Peter is focusing in this verse in particular, this section on this future grace that will be brought to these believers and to us to the church at the, at the return of our Lord? Well, because the immediate future did not look all that bright for these particular Christians. Some of these Christians perhaps would face martyrdom for their faith, suffering for their faith. So Peter is urging them to look beyond the immediate future to the ultimate future, that final grace uh, that will be uh, brought at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And by that language of the revelation of Jesus Christ, that is a way of speaking about our Lord's second coming. When Christ returns in glory, he will be revealed in the ultimate sense for all the world to see. And, and a, what a joy it will be when Jesus returns in glory that we will see him as he is and we will commune with him face to face. Friends, what Peter is telling us here is that one of the main ways that we prepare our minds for action as disciples of Jesus is by resting our confident hope upon this future grace. And we can be assured, remember that biblical hope is not a mere wish. It's not, oh, I hope so, sort of like, oh, I, I hope it doesn't snow tomorrow or something like that, uh, which in this area you never know at this time of year, right? But... It is a, a certainty that is still in the future. The hope of salvation, the Christian hope, doesn't mean, oh, I hope I'll be saved, but I'm not sure. No, the Christian hope is, is Christ has secured an eternal salvation for us, but it is still in the future, so we still hope for it. We look forward to it. 
How do we face the trials and persecutions of this life, of life in this hostile, sin-cursed world with confidence and faithfulness and with the self-control that comes from a sound mind? Well, the answer that Peter gives here is by fixing the eyes of our faith upon the end goal of our faith, the future grace that we will receive at the revelation of Jesus Christ at his second advent. And tonight, as you, as you know, we will be celebrating, <coughs> excuse me, celebrating the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And the sacrament of the Lord's Supper also helps us to set our sights on this future grace that will be brought to us. You might say, well, Pastor, I thought that the Lord's Supper reminds us of what Jesus did for us in the past when he died on the cross for our sins. Well, certainly that's part of what the Lord's Supper is about. It points us back to Christ's finished work, and it also points us to our present communion with Christ, but it also points us forward. Remember, Jesus said uh, that he would not drink of this until he came again in glory. The Lord's Supper points us forward to the ultimate feast of salvation that will be experienced by God's people at the marriage supper of the Lamb on that final day. Again, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is one of the ways that this hope in God's future grace is sustained and nourished. For as we look back with the eyes of faith upon what Jesus our Lord did on the cross to secure our eternal redemption, the eyes of our faith are also pointed forward to that final eschatological marriage supper of the Lamb, which we will celebrate and feast upon when our Lord Jesus returns in glory. Dear listener, do you have this sure and certain hope? Have you tasted the grace of God in Jesus Christ? The Lord's Supper, uh, the bread and the wine point us, they are signs and seals pointing us to the gospel truth that Christ's body was broken, his blood was shed to redeem sinners just like you and me. And he invites all who would trust in him to come to him by faith and Receive and rest upon Him and Him alone for salvation. Are you resting in Jesus alone for salvation from your sins? In the gospel, God offers you full and free forgiveness through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus who was crucified for the forgiveness of our sins and raised from the dead for our justification so that whoever believes in Him might not perish but have everlasting life. Come to the feast of salvation that Christ has spread for sinners. Come, dear listener, tonight. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord and Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you that in Christ we have indeed received grace upon grace. Grant us the grace, O Lord, to prepare our minds for action, <coughs> to be sober-minded, and to set our hope fully upon the future grace that will be brought to us when Jesus returns in glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.